Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad that you're back with us today and ready to study the Bible. Uh, we've got a lot of good questions from our viewers, and that's what we do on this program is answer viewers' questions. We think that's a great way to help everybody know their Bible. So we're going to get to them in just a second. Let me introduce the young men who help me answer questions each week. Jeff Martin's down there on the end. Good Hi, Jeff. Morning. And Toby Levering's in the middle. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're going to see if we can answer as many as possible today. So we always give our viewers one first. Here's yours for the day. Uh, trivia question, how many years could an Israelite own a slave? Uh, see if you know that little bit of Old Testament trivia, and we'll give you an answer at the end of the program. All right, looks like Toby gets to be number one today, so get well, us going. We'll take the first question. It is Exodus 33:11 and 33:20 contradict each other. Can men see God face to face or not? Well, okay. Uh, probably be helpful to look at those verses. Uh, so let's look at uh, Exodus 33:11. Says, "Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face." as a man speaks to his friend. And then Exodus 33:20 says, but he, God says, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. All right, so this seems to be a contradiction. And when Moses spoke to God face to face, the term there in uh, Exodus 33:11, there's two probabilities, two possibilities. Uh, one is that Moses was speaking to a uh, pre-incarnate Son of God, uh, what is called that uh, the word is called a Christof Christophany. Um, that's one possibility that people uh, give out uh, that uh, Christ appeared pre-incarnate, uh, in but pre when he lived his life on Earth, and that Moses was able to speak to him in that form. Second possibility is that here Moses is using a figure of speech, an anthropomorphism. Uh, where human qualities are applied uh, to God. Uh, I think, I mean, certainly either is possible with God. God can do anything he wants. Uh, but when you look at the context, I think a figure of speech is more plausible. Uh, Exodus 33, when you look at the whole section from verses 22 on through 23, uh, it describes God as having a face, having a hand, having a backside. Um, of course, God is spirit, Jesus tells us later in the book of John. And so he does not have, nor would he need, uh, a, a literal face, a literal hand, a literal back. Um, these are human qualities, physical qualities, because God's spirit, uh, we think this is probably symbolic language. Um, God doesn't need a literal physical face or any other body parts for that matter. So probably uh, uh, the term in Exodus 33 was Moses' way to say, uh, not to be taken literally, but idiomatically, to, to say he was close with God, he was intimate. When you say someone's face to face, you're implying that closeness, 
the intimacy of a friendship and a relationship. And I believe that's what Exodus 33 is trying to convey, uh, that Moses was close to God. He spoke with God in a familiar way, yet certainly doing so with reverence. But he did so as a, as a man speaks with his friend. So uh, I think that's the interpretation of it. Of course, it's subject to, uh, to, to uh, people could argue with it, of course, but that's how I see Exodus 33. hope that helps you. All righty. You've got a question about tongues here. If you cannot speak in tongues, does that mean you didn't receive the Holy Spirit? Uh, all right. A couple of foundational things before we answer the viewer's question. I think I know where the viewer's coming from, but uh, foundationally, first, uh, receiving the Holy Spirit is very clearly taught in the Bible in Acts 2.38 and many other places is when you repent and are baptized, uh, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that's how you receive the Holy Spirit. The indwelling measure of the Spirit uh, it happens at baptism. Now, speaking in tongues, foundationally, uh, in the Bible, is speaking in an unknown to you language, but a real language. Uh, that's what happened in the Bible. When people spoke in tongues, people that understood that language uh, heard in their own language. They could understand. Uh, so taking those two foundational things, uh, what happens today, uh, speaking in tongues, we call it, is not biblical. Uh, has nothing to do with receiving the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is an ecstatic utterance. Uh, no scientist, no anybody has, who has studied it has ever found anybody that can speak in a language uh, that they've never studied or never been around. Uh, it just doesn't happen. In the Bible, it happened frequently. Uh, so that's kind of the foundation. Now, let's assume uh, that our viewer uh, is in part of a religious group that believes in speaking in tongues today. And uh, they practice that. They feel good about it. They call it a prayer language or a language of angels and uh, lots of different things. But uh, some of those groups uh, teach that it is a second act of grace that proves you're really an authentic Christian, kind of a good housekeeping seal of approval. And, and other people uh, teach that it is a sign of salvation. Uh, that you have to receive the gift of speaking in tongues to prove you really received the Holy Spirit and all that. So if our viewers coming from that standpoint and wondering, okay, I can't speak in tongues, does that mean I haven't received the Holy Spirit? Uh, let me take you to a verse that will calm you about that. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul was writing about lots of problems, and one problem was the use of miraculous gifts, including speaking in tongues. And what Paul told the Corinthians, some of who were uh, wanting to speak in tongues and couldn't, uh, what he said to them is, all these, all these miraculous gifts are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Okay, so even if the gift of speaking in tongues was actual today and a true miraculous ability to speak in other languages, uh, not everybody would have that gift because the Spirit never gave it to everybody. Uh, so coming from that point of view, no, if you are in a group that teaches speaking in tongues is essential uh, and you haven't received it, then the Holy Spirit hasn't given it to you. Uh, but like I said, 
foundationally, biblically uh, speaking in tongues today is something completely different from what we read about in the Bible. All right, Jeff, mark again. Yes. Yep. Uh, a viewer asked this question. Uh, God put a mark on Cain to protect him. Protect him from whom? If Adam and Eve only had two sons, who was going to harm Cain? And the key to answering this question is actually in the viewer's question. And that's the word if. If Adam and Eve only had two sons, who was going to harm Cain? Uh, so let's look at the verse first that the viewer's question is referencing. This is Genesis 4.15. It says, But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So at this point, if you're reading Genesis and you're reading it critically, uh, you can see that the only people are mentioned are Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. And we know Cain killed Abel, which makes only three people. If you read a little further, you find Seth. Uh, so only four living people that Genesis mentions up until this point. Uh, now, if you go further in Genesis, you can see that Adam and Eve had many children after Seth. Uh, so there's nothing to make us believe that the same thing didn't happen between the years of Abel and Seth. Uh, and the, the overarching thing here uh, that you have to know is the book of Genesis can be confusing because the events are written chronologically within Genesis, but there are pieces of time missing from each event. There are actually several years between many of these events. Uh, so there's no record of the number of years between Cain killing Abel and Seth being born. Uh, but we can infer from this verse, and we have to be careful about doing that, but we can infer from this verse that there must have been other people, including children and grandchildren of Adam and Eve and possibly nieces and nephews. Uh, and these are most likely the people that Cain was afraid of, and rightfully so, because of the sin that he committed against his own family. So the Bible doesn't tell us for sure, uh, but this is the answer that makes the most logical sense as to who Cain was afraid of. All righty. Let me take this moment to talk about a good way to study the Bible. Uh, we study the Bible for a little bit each week with you here and hope that's helpful, but uh, we believe sitting down with your own Bible and seeing what God has to say for you, uh, it's a much better idea than just learning a few little questions each week. So we advocate Bible study, home Bible study, personal Bible study, and we know that's difficult for some folks to get started. So we've got some tools that we think are very helpful, and we're happy to share them with you absolutely free of charge. Here's a series of lessons that you can do. Uh, you'll get one in the mail and complete it and send it back, and we'll score it for you and send you another one. So a little accountability there, great way to study the Bible, good introductory course to the Bible. Once you get through that one, we'll uh, give you a certificate and ask you if you'd like to go on and study some more. And there's more advanced courses that you can go through and learn a whole lot about the Bible with Know Your Bible Study Tools. If you don't like to wait for the mail or you like to do things digitally, we've got some online courses also. Uh, just uh, log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org and uh, they'll ask you some questions and get you set up 
and you can begin studying online uh, anytime, anywhere you want to complete a lesson, just go ahead and do it. So great way to study the Bible also, uh, excellent courses, uh, you learn a lot about the Bible. So we're happy to share those, like I said, no charge at all. Uh, on the print lessons, we even pay the postage both ways. So uh, give us a call or log on and say you'd like that course and we'll get you started. All right, Toby, what's up? Okay, a question from Hebrews chapter 6. The question is, explain Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Does it mean a person who walks away from God can never come back? Well, I don't think that's what it means, and let me explain why. First, let's read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. It says, It is impos impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. When you interpret Scripture, we say two things that are really important for understanding Scripture. Uh, the big one, of course, is context. We just back up a little bit and look at the verses before and after. We look at the whole book of Hebrews. What was it written? What was the purpose? Uh, the writer who we don't know, some uh, uh, guess the Apostle Paul, some guess other, other people, but we really don't know who wrote it. But he seems to be writing to... Uh, Hebrews, people who have come out of uh, Judaism and con been converted to Christianity, and, and the writer is making the case how much better it is in the new covenant of Christ than under the old covenant of the law. This is a big transition for those who had grown up in it, been raised in it, and, and now are bringing their life to Jesus, and and they're facing some hardships, they're facing some trials, they're facing some difficulty, and maybe second-guessing that decision, wondering if they want to go back to the old ways that were familiar to them. Okay, second is when we look at Scripture and we have a view of what that Scripture is saying, we need to run that view through the filter of the rest of Scripture. In other words, it all works together. It's not one verse says this and the other verse says the opposite, and so I pick this verse. <laughs> Both verses are true. We need to align our doctrine, our understanding, our uh, theology uh, to make sure it accounts for all of Scripture. So when you look at Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, I don't think it says that because of other Scriptures in the New Testament, specifically 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. From 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, Hebrews 10, later in the book, he'll say, if we go on, even for if we go on sinning deliberately after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. When we put these scriptures together along with Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, I think really what the writer is saying is, one, expressing a frustration at their, their even thinking about turning away from Christ. He's saying, what, what possible sacrifice remains? What possible uh, means 
of salvation do we have if not Christ? I believe is the attitude and the uh, intent of the author. Uh, it's, it's, it's possible for people to come back to repentance, but it's not possible for people who've hardened their hearts, who become callous to the goodness, to the grace, to the word of God, to the uh, goodness of God, to the Holy Spirit. And once you've hardened your heart so much, uh, then that's, you know, you've made a decision uh, that God himself won't override. So uh, if a person walks away from God, as you phrased it, can they ever come back? Of course. Uh, repentance means a, a, an agreeing with God, a changing of the heart. And so if you walked away from God, the good news is you can always come home. That's the good news of the gospel. Now, do we go back and forth every day? No, that's not what kingdom living is about. Kingdom living is a commitment. But if you made the decision to turn away and you realize, come to the error of, of the error of that thinking, uh, you can always come home. So hope that helps just a little bit. Hebrews can be a hard book to understand, but if we read the whole book and understand that Christ is the better way. Hope that helps. All righty. You were uh, asked about what denomination is your church, and we get that every once in a while, so we discuss it every few months to just in case people are wondering, if you pay attention to the opening and closing, it usually mentions that uh, the Churches of Christ uh, provide this program. Uh, the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas is the home church of Know Your Bible. We produce the program. Uh, but it does mention Churches of Christ. But uh, our viewer wants to know, what denomination is your church? So uh, let's first understand what denomination means. Uh, if I took my wallet out, I think I could probably find a $1 bill in there, and I might have a 5 and maybe even a 10 I don't know. But I've got some bills in there that look the same, but they're different. Okay, We call those denominations. Uh, they are named differently, denominated, and that means they are different. Now, they're all money, but they're different denominations of money. Uh, if you understand that, you understand what church denominations mean. Uh, there are a lot of Christ followers, a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and in the Bible it talks about that church, Christ followers, the, the Christ church. Uh, unfortunately, man has denominated among all of those Christ followers. Uh, we've decided to call ourselves this, that, or the other to separate us, to make sure we are known as being different than this group of Christ followers. Uh, so, if you ever want to know all right, what denomination is the church that produces this program, uh, I'm going to use as a reference, a reference we don't use very often on Know Your Bible, uh, Wikipedia, which is okay to check a lot of things, but not the most reliable thing in the world, but look up Churches of Christ on Wikipedia and here's what you'll see. Uh, churches of Christ are autonomous, that means self-governing, Christian congregations associated with one another through common beliefs and practices. They seek to base doctrine and practices on the Bible alone in order to be the church described in the New Testament. Okay, so if you caught that all, it says Churches of Christ don't have any organization. We don't have a headquarters. We're self-governing congregations that have a 
fellowship together because we pretty much all believe and practice the same thing and that we seek to just be a New Testament church. Uh, we just look to the New Testament and say we're going to do what it says and if it doesn't say it we're not going to do it and uh, we're going to call ourselves just Christ Church, the, the Church of Christ. And we're not going to denominate ourselves as any special kind of Christ followers. So in that sense, uh, we don't claim to be a denomination. We claim to be a non-denominational group of Christians. Uh, so uh, our, our name that we use, we put on our buildings and so we can kind of identify each other as Church of Christ. Uh, but we could also call ourselves simply Christians, followers of Christ, uh, followers of the way, a lot of titles in the Bible. Uh, but we hope that we are seeking to be non-denominational. Uh, so in, in that sense, we aren't a domination. <laughs> All right, who's up next? Jeff here. Yep, I've got a much easier one than <laughs> okay. you. Um, Viewer wants to know what kind of fish swallowed Jonah? Was it a whale? And the answer to that is is pretty easy. It might not satisfy our viewer, uh, but unfortunately, the Bible doesn't say what specific kind of fish swallowed Jonah. Let's look at the verse that that this question comes from. This is Jonah one seventeen. Says now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So all we know for sure is that it was a big fish that swallowed Jonah. Um, I'll, I'll add a note. If you haven't read the book of Jonah, I highly suggest that you do. Um, when we think of Jonah, we tend to focus on the supernatural aspects of that story, the, the fish swallowing part. Uh, but it's actually a story of a man of God who was reluctantly sent by God uh, to save people that he despised. There's a lot to learn past the fish swallowing Jonah in the book of Jonah. So we don't know what the fish was. If you, if you would like to think that it was a whale, I don't think it's going to change the bearing of the story very much, but the Bible does not tell us specifically. All righty. Last time we talked about that, somebody, I can't remember if they emailed or called in and said it couldn't have been a whale because a whale is a mammal. Okay. The Bible says it's fish. Couldn't be a whale. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I personally think God created a special fish that uh, well, we shouldn't be looking for what kind of fish it was. But that would make sense. Can't too. prove <laughs> that. that yeah. Can't prove that, but it's certainly in the realm of possibility. <laughs> yes, it is <laughs> possible. All right, let me take just a minute and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We just talked about what churches of Christ are and how we're uh, non-denominational and self-governing congregations. Uh, there's one pretty close to you probably, uh, whatever viewing area you're in. Uh, if you'd like help finding one, just let us know and we'll try to help you find the closest one. But if you visit the Church of Christ, you'll find a group of people who think and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program. Uh, a couple that we like to mention a few each week that help support Know Your Bible. Uh, if you live in Kansas, South Central Kansas, the church in Derby, Kansas, and church in Wellington, uh, Kansas, are both supporters of Know Your Bible, great groups of people uh, that seek to be a church of the New Testament. 
Uh, that's their creed. That's their guide. They don't have any other written creed. Uh, they just study the Bible and try to do what it says. So if that kind of Christianity interests you, uh, drop in and visit the Derby or Wellington Church or any Church of Christ near you. Uh, you'd be warmly welcomed and uh, hope to uh, tell them that you've heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby, okay. Lord's Supper question. Have a question about the Lord's Supper. Uh, they they want to know, can the Lord's Supper be offer, only be offered at one service on Sunday? All right, well, this is maybe a little, some people may be watching this thing, what is that all about? <laughs> In the Churches of Christ, uh, typically, uh, if you go and meet with the Church of Christ anywhere, uh, you will find that most every uh, service, worship service, they partake of the Lord's Supper. And it seems this uh, person is asking, can you know, can we only do that at one service, or if we maybe they have multiple services? I don't exactly know the context, but uh, the reason in the churches of Christ that we generally observe that practice is because that's what we see in the New Testament. We see that the breaking of bread was a part of worship, whether in Acts chapter two or uh, later in in uh, in Acts, we see that that was a part of church that was a part of the assembly that was part of worship and so we practice that now the the challenge has always been uh taking what jesus established and not letting satan work in it and divide us over it uh paul addressed a church that was having a lot of problems in a lot of areas but specifically when it came to partaking of the lord's supper let's look at first corinthians chapter 11 uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord um, Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, I just want to make a point that this, Jesus uses this phrase, do this in remembrance of me. You'll sometimes see that in the front of a table or go into a church and you'll see that phrase. Well, remembering to do it is much different than doing it to remember. And sometimes churches get so focused on remembering to do it <laughs> that they forget the purpose behind it. They forget doing it to remember. And Satan can use it to cause division and disruption, and, and he used that at Corinth. They were completely off track when it came to the Lord's Supper. So the point is this. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, whenever you take it, uh, if you partake take of it as part of your worship, uh, make sure you do so with the right focus and for the right reasons and remembering why Christ established that as a memorial of what he did to remind us of who we are as the body of Christ. It's a beautiful, powerful, meaningful part of our worship. And uh, so we need to make sure that we keep our focus in the right place and do it uh, out of remembrance and not just remember to do it. I hope that helps you a little bit. All right, one quick question here. Viewer says, my Catholic friends said non-Catholic visitors aren't allowed to take communion. 
Uh, what does the Bible say about visitors and communion? Uh, that's an easy one. The Bible says absolutely nothing about visitors to church. Uh, it just doesn't talk about it. It talks about church, uh, the assembly, of uh, being where Christ followers come. So, yeah, we have visitors sometimes, but the Bible doesn't address it. The assembly is for Christ followers. Uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, uh, is for Christ followers. Now, some churches do practice closed communion, that you've got to be a member in good standing to receive it. Uh, some practice an open communion that uh, anybody that wants to can uh, partake of it. Here's what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 11:28. Let a person examine himself, then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So we leave it up to who's taking it to examine themselves. Let's answer our trivia question today before we quit. Uh, for how many years could an Israelite own a slave? And the answer is seven years. Exodus 21, verse 2. Glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week with more of your questions. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.